Hello, everyone. Um, my name is Mackenzie Jensen. Um, I'm a 15 years old and I'm a sophomore at Village Christian. And I am also a third generation of this church. My grandparents and grandparents at both sides went here. But um, yeah, I'm also part of leadership in high school, which has been so fun of an experience. And this is my Nana, Joyce Warman. We are so grateful for the ministry of Lake Avenue, for the teaching, the pastoral teaching, the teaching through the worship and arts, and the student ministries that has ministered to our children and now to our grandchildren. We are so grateful. And uh, Marv and I are committing ourselves, until we drool, I guess, to keep encouraging and teaching young families, encouraging them in their parenting and their marriages. Uh, this is our 40th year here at Lake Avenue. And uh, it started with a concert with a six-year-old and a three-year-old and a one-year-old. We brought our three daughters here and sang in the old sanctuary. And Marv and I looked around and said, saw the generations, and we said, this is where we want to raise our children and have a church home. So it is a real privilege to be able to read the scripture today with my oldest granddaughter, um, Mackenzie. Our scripture reading today is from Psalm 145, verses 3 to 7, and Matthew 18, verses 1 through 5. Let us stand for the reading of God's word. First of all, Psalm 145, verse 3 to 7. Great is the Lord and worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. So I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works. So I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your justice. Matthew 18, 1 through 5. The disciples came to Jesus and asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. This is the word of God. You may be seated. <laughs> Thank you, Mackenzie. Thank you. Uh, the entire city of Pasadena, as a city, was only nine years old when this small band of women formed the Lake Avenue Union Sunday School. Uh, they had that first meeting that we saw in the video in that car barn just, just north of here, right up by Lake and Orange Grove. Um, the first Sunday school gathering was likely made up of mostly children and teenagers. And probably most of them, maybe all of them, were children and young people who worked in the car barns and, and in the stables and in the homes of the uh, wealthier, well-to-do people who had moved here from the Midwest. 
Uh, people like the Gamble family, people like the Wrigley's. And now the story, and you've already heard it, that's been passed down to us is that one of those teenagers was really responsible, a young woman named Haiti Bryan, almost certainly an African-American, who recognized there were no churches within two to three miles of the radius of this place and, and was willing to go out and canvas and to bring people in. She said, we shouldn't just be a Sunday school, we should be a church. And so through her, this vision of, of what is now the Lake Avenue Church was launched. So we rightly call Haiti the... Uh, teenage founder of Lake Avenue Church. And that uh, first service, yes. That first service was held November 25th, 1896. That is 120 years and two days ago. Now, one of the very first mayors of the city of Pasadena, William Waterhouse, was one of the earliest members of this church. He and his family, you may know, donated this property at what uh, is Lake Avenue and Maple Street to the church. Uh, Mayor Waterhouse loved this city. He loved his new church. And I'll tell you, he also loved what God was doing in this world. So he and his family donated this property. And as I pulled it together, I've, I've talked about the uh, Mayor Waterhouse threefold mandate to this church. Number one, that in this church, we will faithfully proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to this neighborhood, to this community, calling people to faith in Jesus. Number two, that we will care for the needs of whatever people God brings into this city. And number three, we will carry the message of Jesus beyond our city to the entire world. I, I, I thought of those. Yes, those are worth holding on to. I thought of those three, what I call mandates of our uh, mayor, when I read the uh, verse that we had chosen for this 120th anniversary. It comes from Psalm 145, verse 4, and here's what it says. One generation commends or praises your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. Now, just for a few moments here today, I want us to meditate on what that verse says to us. Uh, it was written by King David so long ago, but it speaks to us on this day of our birthday. First, it really tells us that it is God's calling upon every generation of God's children to see to it that the next generation hears about who God is, hears about what he does, hears about his mighty acts. Because the God that we believe in doesn't just sort of drop a new Bible on every generation or send, you know, new angelic message to every generation. It's clear when you look at that Psalm 145, it becomes clear that God always intended for the older generation to have eyes open for those who are coming on behind us and, and will carry that gospel clearly that has changed our lives to future generations. That's how the good news of what we find in the Bible has made it all the way here to us here in, uh, in this 21st century. Other generations here at Lake Avenue Church for 120 years has passed on this message that God is. God is to be known through faith in Jesus, and God does mighty works. So I'll tell you, one of the things we have to do when we gather here at a 120th anniversary is to recommit ourselves 
to being those very people who will make sure that we proclaim the message of Jesus Christ and the mighty acts that God can do in our lives through faith in him until the Lord Jesus returns. So that's the first thing I want us to take up that gauntlet again today, that just as Mayor Waterhouse said, we will make sure that this is a church where the gospel of Jesus Christ is proclaimed to this generation. Now, there's a second thing that I want you to notice about that verse, because it's not just about the older generation uh, commending the mighty acts of God to the younger generation. Uh, The way that David actually wrote it was this. One generation will commend God's work to another. So sometimes it is the younger generation who commends the mighty works of God to the older generation. That certainly was here in the beginning days of this church, wasn't it? I mean, it was a young African-American teenage girl who even came up with the idea of this church and commended a place where the mighty works of God would be proclaimed in this city. So that's another thing I want you to see, that sometimes God's work begins with those who are younger. And I'll tell you, indeed, the history of Lake Avenue Church has been filled with countless stories of children and young people who have come to Jesus first and then have told their parents and grandparents, this is real. God is real. He is to be known through faith in Jesus and through them their parents and grandparents have come to faith in Jesus. They have commended the power and mighty works of God to older generations. And I am sure there are people here who have come to faith through the witness of their children. I'll tell you, as you look at this uh, church, sometimes it has been uh, simply giving witness to Jesus by younger generations to older. Sometimes when in the history of a church like ours, the older generations can become a bit comfortable in our faith, a bit stale, ritualistic about our work with God. God has given revival movements among the students and young people of this nation who have infused a new life into a church like ours. And that has happened here as well. And I'm praying that it will continue to happen. In fact, I'll just tell you, I am sensing that God is doing a powerful new work among the younger generations here in our own church these days. Uh, To those of you in our church who are younger than I am, like Mackenzie, who read scripture, and Kendall, who sang for us, I give you the same message that Paul gave to the young Timothy. Never be afraid, for the spirit that God has given to you is a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. And never let anyone look down on you simply because you are young. Instead, you be the ones. If you sense us becoming stale and and, and complacent in our walk with God, commend the great work that God is doing in your heart to us so that our hearts might be fueled with the fire of the Holy Spirit. Second thing I sing about that, see about that verse. Sometimes it's the older generation to the younger. Often it's the younger generation to us. Which brings me to the third thing that I just want to say about that verse, Psalm 145, verse 4. Because did you notice, it doesn't just tell us to somehow tell people in next generations or in other generations that there is a God. It tells us how to do it. It tells us to do it with conviction and with passion. The the word, you see it, one generation, and my translation says commends, the works of God to another generation. 
The word really is to, to sing forth praise, to shout forth with exuberance. It, and, and we can't do that unless our own hearts are captivated by the reality of the God who loves us so much that he sent his son, who gave his life. And out of gratitude, we say, you've got to hear about the fact that salvation is available not only for me, but for you as well. I'll tell you, if we get to be the kind of church where we just sort of pass on the details of the faith that we have, what, what's going to happen is people are going to look at us and say they don't really believe it. The way that we are to pass on the message of Jesus Christ is that those words, the lives that we live, the attitudes that we have demonstrate that we actually believe what we are saying. I honestly believe if we're going to have future generations who love God as much as Haiti Bryan must have loved God, as much as William Waterhouse must have loved the Lord, in other words, lives that are just radically committed to following Jesus, the one who came and died for us, then those of us who have come to meet him must be passionately and radically committed to Jesus ourselves. I'll tell you, I think this anniversary Sunday is a Sunday that I call each one of us to a renewed commitment to giving the whole of our lives a radical commitment to Jesus. And what I mean by radical is that I want you to be so deeply and fully committed to Jesus that there's no price that's too high to pay to follow him wherever he leads and to give so that his work can be supported throughout the world. I've asked myself, where do radically committed followers of Jesus actually come from? How's that going to happen in the lives of the people of our church? Well, God can do it however he wants, right? I mean, after all, he is God. And there have been times when God has taken a person who has grown up in a home that is utterly dysfunctional and has drawn that person to himself and has, has filled that person with the power of the Holy Spirit and that person has become that radical follower of Jesus who makes Jesus known to all generations. He sometimes does that. And sometimes God has even raised up a person within a dead and dying and lifeless church and somehow there'll be a person there that, that God says, this message is true. I am real and comes into their hearts. And, and it but I'll tell you, those are not the main ways where people become radical followers of Jesus. The main way is what David talked about in Psalm 145, verse 4. In a church in which the people who are here actually meet God, and when we walk away from God, find that he's still is willing, willing to welcome us back we become so excited about the grace of God ourselves that with enthusiasm and conviction, we turn to them and say, this is not a dead ritualistic religion. This is real. God is real. You can know him. He can transform your life. And in a church like that, those who come in and become a part of it usually capture the message of Jesus, receive the person of Jesus, are filled with the power of the Spirit and become those people like Haiti, and like Mayor Waterhouse, who are actually willing to sacrifice all to follow the Lord Jesus. Amen. Let me tell you today, this is a church in which for 120 years that has happened. Not always, not always. There have been times of great victory, and there have been times where many of us have failed. In fact, all of us. Amen? If you're visiting here today, you're not among a group of perfect people, but we are people who are becoming what God would have us to be. 
And throughout these 120 years, by his grace, I'll tell you, global ministries have been started by the people who are here. Some of you are here today. A major seminary training pastors and missionaries across the street was started here in our church. Well over 300 of our own church people have been identified as being called by Jesus to carry the gospel into other parts of this world. They have been commissioned to careers of doing so and have gone and done it, supported by the church people. These were people who heard about the greatness of God here in this church, Lake Avenue Church. And the people who didn't go to other places and who stayed at home prayerfully identified the ones upon whom God had, had put his hand and called them commissioned them to service, prayed for the people wherever God was sending, and then sacrificially gave so that that work of God could be supported. So that now, as I just look at it, and I'm a part of this church after so many years, uh, ministries of evangelism, ministries of compassion, ministries furthering the justice of God in our own neighborhood to the difficulties and the needs of a, of a broken world have been started here, and I just pray that it doesn't end at the 120th birthday, but that it continues on. Now, before I finish today, I, I want to return to this fact, that our church had an unlikely beginning, was founded by an unlikely person, a young African-American teenager, Haiti Bryan, and, the, and that first mayor who gave us his property, he must have been an unusual mayor for this church because two of his own family members were two of our first missionaries. We sent them out to, to Japan. So I began looking to see what has been at the very heart of this church over the many years. And one of the things that I began to see was all of these stained glass windows that we have all around our campus tell much of the story visually of what was on the hearts of those who have gone on before us. As you leave church today, you'll see some of them here in our worship center. As you look back through that back window, you see the Jesus window that declares to the world who sees it from the outside and to those of us who are here inside that Jesus is the Lord of this place. This is his church, not any pastor's or anyone else's. You'll see in your worship folder, we've even put together sort of a history of our church through its, through its stained glass windows. I've done a number of videos that you can look at and follow and walk around our campus today. I've chosen just three of them. To, I want to show them to you right here because they helped you to see visually what has been on the hearts of the people as this message of the mighty acts of God has been passed from generation to generation. The very first stained glass window here at Lake Avenue Church, I have a picture of it here, was installed in our very earliest days. It was installed in 1905. It's called Jesus and the Children. If you want to see it, go over to Ortland Hall. It's on the second floor. It draws upon those episodes that you heard earlier in Matthew 18 and 19, in which back then, those who were in authority in Israel, they were all men, just to let you know, did not value children at all. And so in this stained glass window, you have the one man sort of standing off to the side, you see, scowling, asking why on earth would this would-be rabbi ever welcome little children? And in that section, you know what happens. Jesus said, let these little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to them. 
And then turning to those in authority, he says, in fact, unless you become like them, you won't even enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, one of the things I want you to see is that it's not just children that are being welcomed by Jesus. Do you see it? Do you even see the picture of the woman that is there with Jesus and the children? Do you see the way the artists and those who were before us adorned her with scarlet and even rather uh, gaudy jewelry? Like, like, do you see that with the, with the earrings? All of that signifies back in a period like this that one of those people closest to Jesus as a part of those welcomed by him were people like the women in Luke chapter 7 and John chapter 8 who were far away from God in the eyes of the world, probably even involved in prostitution. And as you look at it, and you know the stories that when they came to Jesus, they did not find condemnation. Coming to Jesus, they found forgiveness. They found, as he talked about in Luke chapter 7, shalom, peace I give to you. They found a new life. Do you see what our forefathers were declaring to us? I wonder if any church in America had this sort of a vision. They were declaring that all people who came to Jesus found forgiveness and welcome and a new life in him. Therefore, all people, whether they are children or whether they are people viewed as being far away from God who come to Jesus will find welcome in this church family. I am, you know, I am praying that this will always be true of us. That anybody that he brings to this city can have a new life in Jesus and will find a family here. I was in the, I'm already blown away by this. Let me show you the second window because I knew Comunidad would be here. Second window is right over in the chapel. It's called the Rose Window. When Jonathan, who led us so well here in singing today, is leading the worship at Comunidad, uh, Comunidad people, you see this window right above you. When Pastor Jorge is preaching, I'm sure you listen carefully to him, but if you look up, you'll be able to see this window as well. I want you to see what's in that window. It is so beautiful. See, in the very center of it is the symbol of God's word. It is saying that God's word is always going to be at the heart of this church. That whenever we gather, whether it is comunidad or whether it is here within the worship center or whether it is in our children or students' ministries, God's word will be proclaimed. And when we make decisions, we will not be directed by what happens out in the world. We will be directed by what God has taught us in his word. Now, what I want you to see is as you move from left to right in that window, on the far left, what you will see is the symbol for justice. Do you see the scales that are there? It is the commitment of this church that in a world where there's so much that is unjust and so much that is wrong, we will be committed to the justice and righteousness of God. Passing through the word of God, you see on the other side, the symbol for those who are poor and hungry and in need of God's compassion. Do you see what they are saying? That when the word of God is at the center, the justice of God, everything being made right, will be proclaimed and made available as you go through. It will always be a people of God who reaches out to those in the community who are hurting. Just as Paul said in Galatians 2.10, we will preach the gospel, but we will remember the poor. As you look at that window at the very top, 
You see that there's the, the symbol of peace, reconciliation, the Holy Spirit's work to take what is broken in our lives and in our world and to bring it back together. Do you see at the very bottom is the symbol of communion, the only thing that makes it possible for our sins to be forgiven, for us to be reconciled to God, is that he loved us so much that Jesus came and gave his life on the cross. This is what is going to be at the heart of this church. The proclamation that Jesus is crucified out of love for us, for our sins, but that the grave could not hold him through his resurrection power proclaimed in the word of God. Reconciliation is offered to this broken world. I pray that that will always be the central message we proclaim whenever this word is opened. Should I show you the last window? I'm going to anyway, but but I'll ask you. It's our newest window. We call it the Oaks of Righteousness window. It's on our children's center. Points us to this great text in Isaiah 61, where those who follow a promised Messiah will themselves be called Oaks of God's justice, Oaks of God's righteousness. What what had happened was the people of Israel had walked away from God, wondered if there was ever any hope. God says, there is always hope for my people. I have not forgotten you. Comfort is coming to you. You can read all about it. Book of Isaiah, we'll go through it at Advent and we'll be able to see him saying this. But he says, the way it's going to happen is I'm going to send a Messiah. And that Messiah, when he comes, will offer good news, bring good news to our broken world. And it will be specifically good news to the poor. Good news that those whose hearts are broken can be bound up and healed. Good news that those who are in prison or imprisoned by addictions can find release. Good news for those who are mourning that even death is not the end of things. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus came and said, In my coming, that word is fulfilled. I have come to bring that good news. And then later he would say, as the Father sent me to bring that kind of good news, so I send you in my name to bring that good news as well. Going back to the book of Isaiah, all who follow that Messiah, all who follow Jesus will ourselves be oaks of God's righteousness, bringing life where people are dead to God, bringing hope to those who are hopeless. Oaks of righteousness. So let me give you a riddle. Let me give you a riddle. Uh, Which one would have the greatest number? How many acorns are on an oak tree? How many oak trees are in an acorn? Which is the greater number? It is surely the last. For as an oak tree through its acorn gives life to what comes after it, then that new oak tree also multiplies itself by bringing about life. And it happens from generation to generation. God has done mighty works in this church family for 120 years. But his work is not done. He has given us this commission to recommit ourselves fully to furthering his kingdom in this world. Brothers and sisters, he has located us at this place that the first, one of the first mayors gave to us 
That here at Lake Avenue and, and, the, and the 210, our own community, he said, is a place where we are to reach. But, but we know that before God's work is done, there will be people from every tribe, every language, every nation who will come to know Jesus and be in the family of God. And have you seen what's happening in our community? People from every tribe and language and nation are coming here. They're coming here. So, when people come here to this community, there is a local church that is going to declare, sing forth, praise forth his mighty acts. And that will be this church located on this street corner. And for those who never come here, we are going to recommit ourselves to sending our own to those places where they have never heard the name of Jesus or seen the beauty of Jesus until his work is done, until that time comes that we sang about earlier in this church service, when all of us, after all the generations are done with the work that God has called us to do, will be gathered around the throne of God. People from every language group, every people group, every nation, and we will be, what are we going to be doing, Dwayne? Singing. Will we have brass and strings? I don't know. We will be singing. We will be singing not about ourselves and what we've done. We will be singing worthy. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Worthy is he who is willing to give his life for our salvation. Worthy is he who then conquered the grave. To him be the glory. Amen. Amen. We're going to be remembering what he did in just a moment. Let me lead us in prayer. Father, thank you for this day that we could stop as simply one part of your church family and give praise to you. Oh, Father, thank you so much for drawing those to yourself through the work of your spirit who are here before us. Thank you for all of those divine appointments of people meeting people here in the San Gabriel Valley and being willing to declare your mighty acts to them in such a way that they came to faith in you too. Thank you, Lord, for coming into our lives. Father, I want to pray today that if there are any who have come today who have never known you and your beauty and your power your grace, Father, I pray that today would be the day that they know that you are real, that they would place their faith in the Lord Jesus as their Savior and come alive to you and join us in commending your mighty acts to every generation. Father, we pray that you would continue to do the work that you have done, but even greater work, Father, until your work is done, until each one of us is complete in Christ until we see you face to face. For this we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.